Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Incomparable, number 705, March 2024. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. In this episode, we continue our journey through the Back to the Future franchise. Again, a franchise we love so much that we couldn't help but talk about it for about 40 minutes and talk about all three movies. And Lex Lex was excited. Lex isn't here for this one. I, I Shout out to Lex Friedman, who loves these movies dearly, but he couldn't make it. Take that, Lex. So we're going to cover this without him. But I do have a wonderful panel to talk about. Back to the Future Part 2, Roman numeral 2. And it begins with... One of Lex's longtime podcasting companions, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. <laughs> Hi, Jason. Uh, and a uh, more recent podcasting companion of Lex Friedman, Brian Warren. Hi, Brian. Look, Snell, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> also joining us, people who know who Lex is, John Syracuse. Hello. Shark still looks fake. <laughs> <laughs> and Shelly Brisbane. Hi. Hi, um, I'll just be asleep in the car. You guys go ahead and do the podcast without me. <laughs> oh, man. Burn. Shelly's not an important part of my plan. <laughs> Apparently not. Why did we, why did we invite her to the podcast? Then, I know. Uh, well, that's I really a good, need a nap. Well, the thing is, in the last episode about Back to the Future, we said Shelly would be in this episode. And so we kind of wrote I ourselves into a corner. though, weirdly. <laughs> yeah. Same great sweater, though. Oh. Right. <laughs> That was for Jason. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Feels about Elizabeth Shoe Elizabeth sweaters. Elizabeth Shoe sweaters. Good reference. Um, the I didn't get you know they they put her on garbage for a large portion of this movie. So <laughs> compressed, it doesn't matter. Compressed cubic cubicle to garbage. Laser oh, disc clean piles. Yeah, that's right. It's not oozing anything or anything. All right, Back to the Future Part Two. So Back to the Future, which we talked about last time, big hit. Everybody loves it. We loved it. It's fun. Um, it I can't now ever watch it again without what John pointed out, which is that literally everything is done twice in it. It's so true. Um, but uh, this is, and now here we go. Part two, <laughs> let's do the movie again. Like literally in, at some, some points, let's play the movie again. This is uh, a movie shot with, um, with part three. They actually said, let's make two sequels and then never again, which is what has happened. Um, but I just want to point out part one from 1985 was a standalone film that had an ending that was fun because it, it was a punchline. Oh, Marty, you you and Jennifer, you're, it's not you. You're fine. It's your kids, Marty. It's your kids. Um, and then they made two more movies and at the start of Back to the Future Part 2, never, I think, in a movie have I felt more contempt and regret for the way the previous movie ended 
than in Back to the Future Part 2, which has to deal with the fact that, for example, Jennifer is in the car, but doesn't really want to. <laughs> and so, uh, and there are several moments that I thought, oh, the movie is just rolling its eyes, rolling its eyes at the previous movie, which is not great because the previous movie is beloved and wonderful and has a great well, ending. Well, well based it, on that, though, like this movie absolutely assumes that everyone in the entire world has seen the first movie. For sure. Which, it was mm. a block, block, it's part block two, buster, but also assumption. needs many flashbacks to remind them of what they've right, seen. Right, but like those flashbacks Both make no true. sense if you didn't see the first movie. True, this movie, yeah, I've th- agreed. This movie so uh, sort of capitalizes on the success of the previous movie that like the previous movie started with ticking clocks, ha, it's a time travel movie. This movie starts with the signature soundtrack jingles from the first movie, basically mm-hmm. saying, hey... I Remember? know you enjoyed the first movie, and these tiny stings of music being the first things you hear will remind you of all those good feelings in the first movie, which mm-hmm. we assume you have encyclopedic knowledge of because you will need it to watch this movie. Yep. Let's be fair. Alan Silvestri's theme for Back to the Future is uh, a masterpiece of a theme that is infinitely humble. so I don't fault sure. them for leading off with right, it. Right, but like, this, is, this, like, this movie knows that it it is following a smash hit, and yes. it takes advantage of that to the greatest extent possible, though Jason mentioned the, the first movie doing things twice. This movie doesn't feel like doing that. It's it's going to it's gonna and I don't fault it because I feel like it is upping the level of difficulty. Saying in the first movie we tried to bring a hundred percent of the audience along so they could get maximum value out of the movie. In the second movie, they're gonna turn up the degree of difficulty a little bit. So little things bit. will not be done twice. They will be done once. The things that they do, we'll talk about those things, yeah. but they are not giving you as much hand holding. And I don't know if this is the first movie to do all the many things that we're going to discuss, but it certainly is the most popular movie to do all the things we're going to discuss about revisiting parts of earlier movies and so on. And and in that way, despite all the things that I'm assuming we're going to say about it, it is, I think, an important movie. Yes. And I just want to add as a preamble, like, you know, I saw this movie as a nine-year-old in the movie theater, I'm pretty sure, at my friend Paul's birthday party. And I for a kid of my age of of a nine-year-old this movie was hugely hugely influential because the idea of the future that it portrayed Mm. ended up being something that was and i think still is kind of iconic 2015 Um, yeah even now nine years after that don't you think as a nine-year-old it really solidified what I thought of as what the future would be like down to the point of, I mean, this is well-documented of course, but the, the hoverboard hoax, right? That, that Bob Zemeckis <laughs> at some point claimed that they were real, but they couldn't release them like nine-year-olds. Like we didn't know better, right? We bought into that <laughs> and we were like, our identities were constructed around hoverboards for a solid couple of years after this. Uh, and I think all of that, plus the, the, the flying cars, right? Like, you know, yes, it's ludicrous. And I think they, They've conceded that even at the time when they were coming up with it, they didn't think it was terribly plausible, but it certainly shaped a vision of the future that if you were a, you know, nine, 10 year old in the 1980, late 80s, early 90s, your frame of reference for the near future, the future you would be living in when you were an adult was Back to the Future Part Two. Well, there is a before and after this movie, because uh, when I watched this movie, when it was released, it was about the future. 2015 was the future. Uh, now we're all watching it and 2015 is the past and there is definitely regardless of how silly and ridiculous and over the top things are it feels different to watch a movie that is about things that haven't happened yet versus you know this is the past and we know that 2015 was nothing like this right and 
you can't really recapture that first one. Obviously, you'd watch it and, and think it's silly and everything in you know the 80s when you watch it. But you're like, hey, who knows? 2015, that's the future. Who knows what things will be like then? And now, now we know. Now we know. Although, to be to their credit, um, there are a few things in there mm-hmm. that are that are not bad. First off, the 80s nostalgia. Uh, yeah. The logo of the '80s cafe is uh, is perfect for '80s nostalgia, which did totally happen. Uh, w- uh, widescreen TVs absolutely are in there, uh, which were not a thing in 1989. But and so are CRTs. There's a lot of CRTs in that cafe. Sure, there are CRTs, but like, but in Marty's house, there there is a 16 by nine screen. Yeah, projection projection screen. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. And then, of course, the big one which is the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. (laughs) Of course, course you pull that out. Against Miami. Against Miami, which it turns out is a team, which was not a team in 1989, but in the same league, so they wouldn't play in the World Series. But still, pretty good. Pretty good. I thought I laughed this time around at a scene in the future where the kids are sitting around the dinner table and the kids are wearing like, Apple Vision Pro is basically. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, oh, that <laughs> made me laugh. Yes, the VR uh, glasses, yeah. AR glasses, whatever they are, absolutely is a, is a thing, too. Yeah, that's kind of the fun of, like, so you can have certain fun with the movie when you're watching it in the 80s and you don't know what 2015 is going to be like because all sorts of ridiculous over-the-top things and brands that you recognize, like, here's what Nike shoes will be like in the future and clothes that dry themselves and stuff like that. Uh, and then from our perspective, there's a different thing that you can get because now it's the past. And when they do things like Doc saying, wait a few minutes and the rain will pass, we're like, you can do that on Dark Sky. Yeah. Because yeah, we know right. that, exactly. that actually, yeah. that was supposed to be ridiculous and funny that, oh, in the future, the weather is so precise that you can, you know, look at your watch and it will tell you, wait two more minutes and the rain will stop at your current location. That is a, a punchline in the 80s. And now we're like, hey, they thought that was funny. That actually did happen. <laughs> a happened. bunch of other stuff didn't. But that one, that one we did get. Yeah, it is always fascinating. There's a whole genre of movies now that is uh, movies with a, a dystopian or weird future that we've blown right past. But that's mm-hmm. as a kid growing up in Star Trek, I was, you know, watching Star Trek. I, I enjoyed that because Star Trek did that with the 80s. So throughout the 80s, I'd be like, well, where where's Khan? Like, where's the where's World <laughs> War Three? No, 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 I don't need it. Don't show it to me. I don't need World War Three. Um, all right. Let's uh, there's a lot here. Um, I have complicated feelings about this movie. I'm going to be honest and say that I started watching this movie and I thought, oh, wow, this is worse. I actually dislike this movie more than I thought I did. And then as I watched, I thought, but wait, it's a good part now that I really like. And then that kept happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is a movie. This is, I guess this is so, consider this my prologue because Dan did a preamble and maybe John did an opening statement. I don't know. If, uh, yeah, Shelly Bryan, if you've got uh, uh, four words or whatever, you can, (laughs) dedications, you could throw those in there too. I'll just say, I think this is a a very strange movie and I think it's all over the place and there are parts of it that I really enjoy and parts of it that I really dislike and uh, I, I, yeah, that, those are my feelings about it is I, I don't even know if I have a, an overall feeling about it other than that um, I feel like every time I watch it, I have to grit my teeth through the bad parts to get to the parts that are fun and that's a fun funny feeling to have about a movie but that's how i feel about it it is weird how much dystopian future there is combined with all of the technology that is interesting and worth talking about separately than that because yeah it's very dark and you can look at the technology and and have thoughts about crts and widescreen tvs and doors that recognize you when you come in the house Mm. but it's laid over this world in which there's still a lot of physical violence there's a lot of people that have gone to see there's this is this or there's it's a wonderful life dystopia going on there's also just like 
everything is terrible in the future and there's not, there's not really any substance to anything. And it's just, it's such a weird combination of things. And I don't have nostalgia for this movie because this is the one Back to the Future movie I did not see. And I'm not sure if it's because I just didn't get to it or because maybe I was aware of how cynically connected mm. to the first one it was. Like, you love the first one. You'll have to love the second one. I was like, well, I just won't see it. And I saw the third one and I, I'll be I'll be watching it again at some point. And I, I remember liking that one in a very different way than I liked the first one. But I had never seen this one. And so it was interesting to see it and, and having positive feelings for it because I liked the first movie so much and thinking, oh, it's probably interesting. It's probably not as good. But I was surprised at how much I disliked it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I remember being so excited at the end of the first Back to the Future movie, being like ready for the next one to come around. And then it just felt like it was going to take forever. And I just and I stopped believing it was ever going to happen. And then it did come out. And, and imagine my surprise looking back at the dates and realizing that was really only four years. But those four years felt like forever when like I was between a kid. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi yeah. felt like about a decade and a half. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's true. Brutal true waiting when you're a kid. You you just hope that they really are going to deliver on that promise. And I at the time, I did not know that they put that in so, as a joke. So I'll, I'll save most of this for uh, our Back to the Future 3 episode. But I'll just say that I was extremely aware that they were shooting these sequels because they shot the third one, large portions of it, within a few miles of where I grew up. And so we were really well aware that Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg and the cast were in our town for part three and that they were shoot and there was like part three and they're like well they're shooting part two and part three they had to explain that to me i was like oh well, two back to the future movies so I, I was really well aware of it and i loved the first movie so i was i was ready for it so let's let's jump in and, and we can just uh, talk about it as we go there is a lot here um and and it's very segmented too this movie really is I mean, you can pick out like there are because of the time travel, especially there are very specific segments in this movie. So we begin with a replay of the of the fun end of the last movie. But it's a little bit different because they have had to, for various reasons, not, you know, personal reasons, I think of the actress, they have had to recast Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer. So they have to reshoot these scenes. Uh, it, it's uh, it's. Uh, anyway, they, they had to, they had to give us a new Jennifer. And if you're thinking, oh boy, uh, I hope Jennifer has a lot to do in this movie. I got bad news for you. Um, so she gets yeah, she literally Elizabeth, gets she left was cast behind for her and skill at at staying unconscious. That's like, can you can you lie down on a bench for us? Yeah, perfect. Uh, you're 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 hired. And it's Elizabeth Shue, so you're like, oh, a, a good actress who's going to go on to be nominated for awards and things is in. No, they don't. They 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 put her on garbage, and then later they le literally leave her behind. And Doc says, it's it's fine. It'll all work out, which is amazing. So, uh, so they get in. Oh, Marty, it's your kids, Marty. Right? Okay. So that's that's going on. So they leave. We don't need her, we don't need Rhodes. Honestly, even this, I know that ending of that movie so well that I look at this and I think ah, they're trying too hard to replicate the energy of that scene. And it doesn't go over as well. It's not as good as the scene that's in the actual movie. Yeah, but I feel like the acting's not very good in these few opening it's scenes. Not. Like they could have used a few could have used a few more takes. I know it's just <laughs> dialogue and sometimes just repeating scenes that had already been, but because you have that A B comparison, you're like, boy, they're not like they could have used a few more takes in every one of these shots in the not. opening of the movie until they get to the future. I, this is also the point where I, I think I realized that like seventy five percent of the lines in this in this movie are punctuated with an exclamation point mm -hmm. because literally everything <laughs> is delivered like Doc. Marty, you know, like, yeah, we got to go. We got to do this. And it's, it's a like, kids. It, it is. It's a, it's a bit. What? 
much, right? It's all at that. It's all at like a like a ten. You guys need to bring it down. Some of those lines down to like a three. Well, you it's know, more noticeable because that's how it starts the movie. There's no. There's literally no ramp up. It starts. And to be honest, I, I think it would be interesting if they landed in the future and then ha- they had to that that's where they started and they had to explain how they got there so that you would be completely uh, confused. But like, let's say they that they land in the DeLorean. It's 2015. It's like, what, wait, what is this? What is happening? How did this happen? And you remember the way the other movie ended. So you understand that these characters are probably going to go to the future, but you don't cynically begin the movie by saying and now we're chapter two of this serial right. that you've bought into yeah yeah that that would be an interesting way of, of doing it um they they uh so what we do get we do get one new scene too which is biff who is you know polishing the car because remember where we left is that marty has changed time so that he has a better childhood that he doesn't remember, but in the end he gets a truck and his siblings have better jobs and his, his dad is, is is successful and plays tennis. Cause it's the eighties. And, and they, yeah, yeah. So he, he processes that. Never fixed. He he goes back to the future (laughs) and he gets a truck. So, uh, so it's not really, his, I'm going to come back to this because this is sort of important. It's not really his future, but it is a future and that's where they are. Uh, so so we picked him up, but Biff, who has been reduced to being the polisher of uh, and waxer of uh, George McFly's car in this altered timeline, witnesses them fly off to the future, which I mean, it's like a flying car blazing with like flames and a sonic boom. So you probably would notice. So they show that that's important for the plot. And they arrive in 2015. Uh, Before that. So this this first bit here where Biff sees them flying off, it is the first scene that is supposed to be different from the first movie that we know. They reshot a bunch of them, right? And to my recollection, at least in my lifetime, this is the first time I had seen a movie show scenes from an earlier movie and then add a perspective add a okay in the first movie you didn't see that biff noticed this and now we're going to show you you know ran style or whatever this the same scene from is that the one am i thinking of the right movie sorry curacao fans the same scene from a different perspective but it's not a big arty movie or something like that it is literally back to the future a pop blockbuster that you saw and this mechanic would go on to be used in many films that I saw since, but this is the first time I saw it. And that particular moment of seeing Biff, like, wow, same events, new perspective, yeah. was a little bit mind-blowing for my tiny little brain in the 80s. Obviously, now it's very rote and who cares, but it did stand out sure. to me because it like opened up a new world on a beloved thing, which is, if you think about it, it's kind of the way all movies work now is that they, they want you to be bought in already, whether it's known IP or everything's a sequel or whatever. And this was like, we have a beloved first movie and we are going to re-harvest from that same yes. movie, we are going to echo lines, we're going to echo scenes, and we're going to show you things from a different perspective. And I think showing things from a different perspective, which this movie will do, is very smart and works well. Reharvesting must be done skillfully, and mm. this movie has a not-so-great batting average. That's Rashomon, by the way, is what you were thinking. Sorry, we're not Rand. Rashomon. That's not you. how I remember it. There you go. Dan. Um, okay, so they go to the future. They're like on a flying car freeway <laughs> and they and they uh and and they, they land. So okay, Jennifer. Uh is it, Jennifer's taken with them in the first movie. Uh and and this movie 
could have taken the opportunity, especially since they recast, to say, hey, this is a story about Marty and Jennifer and their future together as a married couple and their children, because that's what's in the text of the first movie. What this screenplay decides to do instead is sideline Jennifer as quickly as possible because the movie doesn't want it to be about Jennifer at all, only about Marty and Doc. And Jennifer, I, and I, I don't love it. I especially don't love that Doc basically takes out a gadget that makes her pass out and uh-huh. then dumps her in an alley because he is so not interested in having Jennifer in his movie with him. I don't, I don't like it. I didn't like it at the time. I like it even less now. It feels so not only artificial, but kind of unpleasant of like, oh, well, it's, it's about your future and your kid's future, but only one of you gets to count because I have a plan and it only involves Marty, I guess. Right. And spoiler alert, this movie's dealing way of dealing with women is either non-existent or offensive. There is no yeah. middle ground whatsoever. And this is the non-existent part. Let's completely sideline her. <laughs> oh, we'll bring her back later, but in a really stupid way. And there'll be one other woman in the film, which we'll talk about later. Yes. Yeah. That's leaving money on the table because when you're revisiting scenes from the first movie, it, if you revisited them all as a duo... With having Jennifer's perspective, that is the perfect opportunity to have someone chime in with something that, you know, wasn't uh, attempted or obvious in the, you know, when he finds himself in a similar situation, which he does a lot in this movie, you could have Jennifer chime in and say, hey, why don't you just X or what about Y to see how her input can change things. That is a straight up typical buddy dynamic of now you have a new perspective from somebody who is different from you. Uh, But only Marty can do things. Only he has opinions and ideas. And, you know, Jennifer is not an adventurer because she's a woman. And don't change the chemistry of the first movie because it was a hit, and we want to make this movie as much like that movie as possible. So yeah, the she was magic just the girlfriend in the, in the first movie. She was, although she probably got more lines in the first movie. Yeah, but, she, but she was she was just the girlfriend. She's just the the trophy reward, whatever. She's not important in the first movie, and so she isn't in the second movie. But that was just really really leaving money on the table because then, then Marty's left to to redo all these things himself, and you do get the twists of like now it's the future, how are things different or whatever, but you don't get that second perspective. Well, not to mention, you also don't get the chance to explore, you know, we have their future family, as we'll get to in a little bit. And it's like, there's a great opportunity to explore, like, what does your future look like? And we get like a briefest glimpse of that, right? Like the, the pictures of her. She got wedding, married in the right? chapel of love. And, yep. Yeah. And yeah. like, you, there's an opportunity to navigate like, man, like, do we even really want, like, <laughs> is yeah. this what we want our future to be? Right? Like, there's an interesting mm-hmm. question there. And we're not going to deal with that either. No. Bob Gill talked about this like in 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 some of the behind the scenes stuff for part two where he was saying yeah we we really wrote ourselves into a corner here because we didn't think this movie was even going to happen um and i think he even said that like uh bob zemeckis was unavailable at the time because he was shooting another film and so he was just stuck in a room trying to write his way out of this and he's like well everybody loved doc and marty from uh the first one so let's just uh find a way to keep these two together and we'll just we'll just uh set her down on a bench oh yeah i mean you can feel it like it it's literally the movie like i said earlier the movie's just not interested in her participation because they the first movie didn't have her participation but they're stuck with her so they it's just amazing that they she doesn't even have adventures off screen really which she could have Mm -hmm. had they could have sent her on a mission that we saw very little of where she ends up going to the house but instead they're like no no she can't take it her her uh well, basically, she's a girl. She can't be confused about the future. So let's put her to sleep. And it's it's ridiculous. So it's well, a and her her role in the mo- in the first movie, even though she doesn't do a lot and she does have a few more lines, her role is is not so much a reward for Marty. She's Marty's sense of stability because she's there before he leaves and she's there when he comes right. back. And she supports and so she, him. And, yeah, she supports mm-hmm. him. 
But it's not like the truck, which is, here's a reward no, for changing the- <laughs> time. She's the constant in his life. Yeah, he already had a great so. girlfriend in his cruddy, right. uh, supposedly cruddy initial she's life. She's the constant the in his life that could have been brought forward, as you say, to be included in the adventures or to have a perspective that we can see. I understand they've got a different actress. I understand they wrote him into a corner. I don't care. I don't yeah. care. It's dumb. I'll also point oh, yeah, out that this lazy. isn't actually Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer. This is the Jennifer the who liked yeah. the Marty who was had a much more successful family. Uh, sure. <laughs> are their stories the same? Were their first dates the same? Well, she was willing to date him before he had the truck and after. Yeah, right. So we know exactly. she's not just with she's him for a, the She truck. is a constant. That is, that is true. But they, they haven't had a chance to even compare memories at this point, too. So. Oh, boy. I mean, All he right. changed the past. He could have ended up with a completely different girlfriend. Wouldn't could that have. be surprising? If, no, if when not, they that's recap. not this kind of that's time. Not the, no, this movie doesn't want to. Boy, does that, this movie not want to deal with that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so with Jennifer asleep on garbage in an alley, uh, they they see, he says, Marty, you need to go to the 80s Cafe, which is the diner that we see in all the movies. And 80s Nostalgia Cafe, you're going to dress in this outfit, which is this ridiculous outfit with the like, it's it's adjustable size and all these things. And uh, turn your pockets out. Yeah, turn your pockets out. It's the style of the time. Onion on your belt, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We have Marty. Uh, Marty poses as his son, Marty Jr., uh, who looks exactly like him because... It, he does saves money budget, budget reasons because <laughs> yeah. it's the same because yeah, it's right. the same actor and uh what you need to do is gr- th- this guy griff is going to come in and tell you uh you just say no just say no to griff and because it's it it puts your kid in prison and then your <laughs> your daughter gets arrested for trying to break him out of prison and it's very bad so don't <laughs> do just, that just Marty. say no catchphrase a lot of things lost on people watching it now how big yeah. just say no was in the 80s and how there was a joke when he says just say no yeah yeah. Um, so so that happens. He goes in there. The 80s cafe, like I said before, the logo is perfect 80s nostalgia. The inside, uh, I was delighted to be reminded that uh, Back to the Future thinks that Max Headroom is going to be a huge part of 80s nostalgia. <laughs> that's, that's I'm told in the 80s, that's the future. So uh, it seems, stands to reason that we'll be filled with Max Headroom. However, a Michael Jackson Max Headroom is aces that's a good one the ronald reagan max headroom i don't know so much but the michael jackson maybe not going to be as big in 2015 no maybe not but but michael jackson max headroom at an 80s i was like oh that's pretty good that's pretty good it would have only been better if they had played the power of love on the uh on the jukebox or also both the some of the tvs behind the counter are showing both i believe family ties and taxi oh man he shows michael j fox and christopher lloyd listen this movie so this movie is 2015 as we talked about in, in the, the Back to the Future episode, this movie has an 80s perspective on good and bad. And so the parts of this future that are dystopian, they're dystopian in an 80s way. Guess what? Minorities come to your neighborhood. People have tattoos. Yeah, I, People wear moment. leather jackets. The neighborhoods are unsafe because there are motorcycle gangs and punks. Like it is... <laughs> <laughs> is exactly the 80s Reagan scary like you used to think you were safe in your white suburb but now you're not 
and that's and it's that, it's so over the top i think and, and as in the 80s versus also the future i think both of these things what they have in common is that they are extremely exaggerated like too comical effect right the the bo- the bikers going by with like automatic weapons shooting yeah. up the houses <laughs> yeah. right and that's We've the stuff it you would like put 15 you'd put that in 80s movies to show you're in sure. the bad neighborhood and they said 2015 the bad neighborhood will look exactly the same as it does in contemporary movies in the 80s it's just that now the bad neighborhood has come to where Everywhere. you used to live yeah in your in your comfortable in your comfortable life that's right now and and that really makes the sidelining of jennifer by putting her in an alley they don't even get to say like you know star trek style oh don't worry everybody's safe in alleys in 2015 no <laughs> people are not safe in alleys there's roving biker bands and people with well, automatic to, weapons yeah. she's to be not fair, some safe. of that's from alternate 1985 not from 2015 that's right but like it's so it's so weird that they couldn't envision a different kind of danger in the future it was like what you are afraid of now because of ronald reagan will be what you're afraid of in 2015 that's science fiction right that science fiction is always about when it was written not about the future Mm -hmm. and 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 that's why i love science fiction projections of things that have already passed because you can see like what did the 80s this is just i said this on a a recent episode a lot of 50 science fiction it's all about like atomic things because they thought like i assume that the pace of innovation in atomic things is going to continue but it's never that thing it's a different thing and so they get it wrong but it's fascinating to look back and and you're right john that that is it is a very 80s dystopia happening just to be and to be clear the the most of the dystopian parts are in the 80s not in in the in the alternate 85 is yes yes so dan the 20 the 2015 is much more in some ways apathetic or like more i don't de not dehumanizing right it's like it's like oh it's terrible it's like kind of like the, the terrible parable sorry to rhyme of growing up it's like oh you're gonna grow up and you're gonna be a middle manager and you're not gonna yeah. like your wife's gonna be going out and getting like high this is, basically is this the is one of the one of the weird things about this movie is in my memory biff's casino which we'll get to in a little bit and all of that is the future but it's not it's an alternate 1985 caused by changes in 1955 but in 2015 you've got this weird flying cars yes but where marty lives is a is a uh sort of was the good neighborhood but is now just kind of a dilapidated old suburb and it's 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 more disappointing than dystopian but that is isn't disappointment the greatest dystopia of them all people am i right (laughs) anyway um so okay 80s cafe uh in walks griff and it's biff it's 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 tom wilson who i will once again say tom wilson mvp (laughs) i love him I love all of the many Tom Wilson characters in this. Griff is a future Biff. We they should call him Fifth, but they don't. They call him Griff. Uh, future First Biff. Of all, giving Biffs everywhere a bad name. Let me just and point uh, this. and and it, it it happens like it happens in the other movies where there's there's going to be a fight. In this case, um, real Marty Junior comes in and uh, gets knocked over the counter and uh, he's a wimp uh, Marty says at one point he's like oh I don't know Griff and uh, and Marty takes his My place My son doesn't conform to conventional masculinity Yeah oh no and he's <laughs> got that craggy voice uh, so he stands up to Biff or Griff and uh, and it's very much like oh well uh, I, I, I'm gonna say no and it's all great and then uh, in a fantastic callback to a thing that we loved about Marty from the previous movie, he calls him chicken. And we all know from the previous movie mm-hmm. that if there's nothing mm-hmm. Marty McFly dislikes more, it's being called chicken. Oh, Nobody wait. Nobody calls him chicken. Chicken 
is a thing invented right now. And it's Mm -hmm. like the movie makers are like, do you think they'll buy it? That this maybe was a thing we already knew about Marty. Let's just act like it was a thing we already knew about Marty, and uh, it becomes and important. This movie doesn't do things twice, <gasps> but they make sure that you understand what they're trying to do. I think last time we talked about this movie, I made this point, but like inventing a new thing, a new character flaw to motivate this thing. All right, ham-fisted. Inventing a character flaw that's stupid. It just makes it worse because there are many things that could be wrong with Marty that cause him to make poor decisions, but this one is stupid. Like it is not, it doesn't, you know, he's shown no. himself to be mostly an intelligent, yep. clever problem solver who can think on his feet. Uh, and this is such a cartoonish he's character flaw that I think, uh, I think literal <laughs> cartoons like Bugs Bunny cartoons would find this too unsophisticated a character trait to give one of their ducks or something. Also, they don't, they don't close the circle. They don't actually make the payoff at the end worth it, in my opinion. I mean, they try, but they don't do a good job. And since they explain it so many times, not only was Mm -hmm. it not from the original movie, but they continue to do it and it continues to cause Marty problems. And you think to yourself, oh, well, at the end of the movie, being called chicken is somehow going to make it possible for Marty to achieve one of his goals in a really cool way. Spoiler alert, does not. No. No. It's funny, though. It's so effective in some ways. It like retro gaming your memory that like I (laughs) definitely had since I did not watch the original (laughs) recently. I was like, wait, this isn't in the original. (laughs) Like it's so good at like tricking you into thinking it. It, Making a character that you're like, do dumb things makes you like, no, that's not, that's not Marty Marty do this. And the answer is, I know they'll call him chicken and he'll do it as a dare or something. Um, yeah, I mean, it is. It is a it is a plot mechanic because now, now Brian, now I'm going to just think of poor Bob Gale sitting in a room all by himself <laughs> trying to come up with ideas. And he's like, how do I get? But Marty's smart. He wouldn't do this. OK, he's got like his, his writer's guidebook. It says your character should have flaws, flaws, flaws. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, doesn't like being called chicken. Good. He's having chicken for lunch and he like looks down <laughs> exactly, at his sandwich. He's like, wait a second. I've cracked I, I do it. I do have to comment with some of the bizarre things in the future world that we see, um, which again, the scene where Marty is wandering around in the town square, which is the redressed, you know, town square from the first movie uh, on the back lot. I do love there is a bit where they (laughs) mentioned the hover conversion for your car costs Uh like $40,000 and a Pepsi costs $50. Yes. (laughs) And I thought to myself, (laughs) boy, I have some questions. And the guy trying to save the clock tower, he he says thumb a hundred bucks for me. Like that's a pretty good. He's wearing two ties. Which yep. is the style. Oh, the two ties is, is great. I love That's the two good. ties. It's the pop ties. Here for that. But back to the chicken thing. Like, uh, I, I love that uh, one of Griff's henchmen has like a little soundboard on his chest that can just play a chicken mm-hmm. sound at any moment. Darth Vader. That's what Darth Vader had. <laughs> this is the fun thing about uh, depictions of the future that we all know now have are, as we live here in the future. They would show things that we do have today, but they could not bring themselves to imagine they would be as small as they are today. Right. So uh, mm-hmm. Marty's door that opens with her, his house opens with like a thumbprint or whatever. It's huge. The thing yeah, on the, the outside that yeah. pr- provides that function is massive, right? So we have that now, but it is not that huge. And the same thing with every other, they have to use CRTs for everything. So anything with a screen is huge unless it's a projector. Like they're so close to like, we'll probably have this technology, but they, they just can't bring themselves. Does I guess they think it would look fake. On the other hand, sometimes they just way overshoot like the little glasses that show you everything. So, well, we can't do that. I see what you're going at. But even those look look a little bit chunky. So they're they're still in the 80s mindset that we're like, well, if they have this, it will probably be similarly sized to what we would make in the 80s, but it would just work. And it's like, no, you, you missed a whole bunch of really important things. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The hoverboard chase happens. So so skateboard, Marty skateboards, he goes back in time in the first movie and breaks the thing off the little girl's uh, scooter and invents the skateboard and then is chased around by Biff and his uh, cronies and, they, and all of that. So here we get a replay of it. And we've moved into the part of the movie that I kind of find delightful, by the way, uh, briefly. So uh, there's a hoverboard chase. He he snaps the uh, the top off of a hoverboard by from Mattel a little girl. Yeah. He's got a pink hoverboard, and he does the thing from the, these movies where he's being chased by Biff and his guys, and he grabs hold of a thing, and the hoverboard lets you kind of go up on the on the z-axis, like around corners and stuff, and it's it doesn't make any the physics is nonsense because it is nonsense so it's great i love it it's just it does whatever you need it to do and that's all uh, you know that's all fun i enjoy that he gets stuck in the water they chase after him marty marty outwits them by just jumping in the water uh is a thing and then at the end he he tries to do the thing where he gives the hoverboard back to the little girl thinking i'm cool i've invented hoverboard chases and she's like nah i got biffs or griffs and it's the big super turbocharged Pitbull. one Although the later <laughs> I realized as I watched just for later in the movie, we'll get there. But like I realized that this moment, while delightful, is also a bit of screenplay setup because they want to they want Marty to have a hoverboard for the climactic tunnel scene at the mm-hmm. end of the movie. And so he has to keep it. And I was like, ah, oh, Bob Zemeckis, you're you're so efficient with your screenplay. It's a little too efficient, if you ask me. But OK, fine. All right. I'm OK so, with it. Uh, on that thing, the, the first movie is very, you know, connects everything and pays everything off. This movie is a little bit lazier about that and maybe not as integrated as well. So, for example, when they're in the alley disposing with Jennifer, at one point, uh, Doc has an offhanded com- comment about the efficiency of the Postal Service, which is essentially paid off later at the end of the movie when the Western Union thing comes. And it's it's like, that's so... It's so distantly connected that if you have seen this movie many times, you can make the connection, but it's not important to make that connection. So why put it in at all? It's This movie is not as well assembled as the first one in terms of connecting dots in a way that ends up being meaningful and entertaining. Sometimes they're just dots and they do connect, but they're not that important. It's, Him having the hoverboard is a continuity thing, but honestly, in a movie like this, if... He just like if if he didn't keep the hoverboard because you don't see him carrying around the hoverboard under his shirt uh, conspicuously for the rest of the movie. It's just suffice it to say he didn't give the hoverboard back. Yeah. Therefore, he has it later. It's, it's in the car. like D and D inventory. Yeah, 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 it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not encumbrance is not important to this no. movie. So. <laughs> it should never be important to a movie, right? But that, that's what I'm saying. You didn't even need her, like the the gag joke of like, oh, he doesn't get to give it back to the girl and seem like he's cool. That's the important part of that scene is the revisiting scene from the first movie with the new twist. Yeah. That's the important part, not him keeping it. Just so happens that helps with continuity. Yeah. But there's no surprise that it shows up later. It's still a pretty economical. Uh, tool to use in the plot though sure. delorean's not famous for their trunk capacity so there's all no. sorts of stuff that that, that he just kind of drops in there that maybe he'll need later i enjoyed the um the, the the well i didn't enjoy it i john talking about uh some things are setups and some things are not setups i i had a moment at several points knowing what the third movie is about 
there are some, I would say now, clunky moments where there's mm-hmm. like foreshadowing. Well, as yeah. you know, Marty, my favorite era of history is <laughs> exactly. the Old West. Like, <laughs> right. what? Why would I mention oh, this? Why would now? you mention that just now? <laughs> well, so we'll get to oh. it at the end of the movie. But uh, this this movie oh. does not make you wait too long to understand why that was there. Oh, no, I, I also did want to throw in. You mentioned we talked about Elizabeth Shue either being earlier being the you know actors in here go go on to better things. I I am amused that both Billy Zane, who is one of the henchmen, ah, Riff's, yes. or Biff's henchmen, and also the kids who Marty plays the video games in front of, one of whom is Elijah Wood. <laughs> so wow. this movie is rife with <laughs> like toddler. people who went on to way more famous things. Yeah, speaking sure. of henchmen and Griff, I think I think again kudos to whatever the actor's name is that uh, that. Jason keeps bringing up Tom Wilson. Uh, Wilson. The, the, Tom, uh, so Griff is future Biff, like it's younger yeah. new generation of Biff, and he plays him like Biff on future drugs, which I think is exactly the <laughs> yeah. right choice mm-hmm. because he's he doesn't like play like he, he doesn't play like Biff from the fifties. He plays like he's uh, on weird future drugs with this weird future drug henchman with their gigantic chest plates to play sound, which you don't need something that big to do again. See sizes of things, and I think that is so so perfectly calibrated to the to the stupid fun of this movie uh there should have been more of him and maybe less of uh domestic abuser biff in the 80s casino i think uh tom tom wilson did such a great job of playing multiple different types of characters in ways that uh michael j fox did not so uh, we we can get to that (laughs) later i guess but um i just was so impressed and, and even when we get to the um, 1885 version of Biff 2, I don't know. It's It shows some real range that uh, Tom Wilson has. It's very He would impressive. go on to great things after this, so don't worry. Aww. Playing playing old man Biff, I think, in the same scene, right? We meet him in the cafe as well, um, is also a fun... like you Still know, waxing cars, too. Yeah, exactly. And he's still... He's similar similar to the Biff that we saw like at the very, at the very beginning, but not quite as much of a uh, pushover... Um, yeah, they, they make that transition without or they kind of slide that one past you because Biff at the end of the first movie is like, OK, Mr. McFly, I've got the second code. And he's very sort of subservient. The, the, the strange morality of the again, the strange morality of the 80s where there must always be someone who is dominant and someone who is subservient as opposed yeah. to just people being like normal and nice to each other. And the the, the big ending is that now, uh, uh, you know, Marty's dad is the dominant one. Anyway, the Biff that sees the DeLorean go a flying DeLorean suddenly yes. become like transforms from the subservient little lapdog into the beaten down but still scheming Biff that right. doesn't really exist in the first well, movie at all. Let's, let's be clear. I mean, like the first Biff already changed from getting punched once in 1955 to being <laughs> subservient. So it's just as likely that something else happened. The flying, in the the flying but he years. looks at the flying DeLorean and it's like he's already seen. And, he, and yeah. not only is he scheming, he's also like older and wiser when he scolds his younger self. Uh, that transformation is not evident in the first movie, but in the second movie, that's the and, and it's fine. I think it works. You accept it because you like the character so much and the performance and, and is so good. And he's a bad guy, right? Like yeah. the bad guy can do bad guy things. Yeah. Somewhere in that sixty years, they figured out that make like a tree and leave. Uh, that's right. <laughs> it's like you know when you replay something embarrassing you said as a kid over and over again. He's been replaying that to himself for his whole life. <laughs> Wait, yeah. see, for I, a I really kind of hate older Biff, and I thought for a while that I hated the performance, and I realized that I do not. I just hate the character enough that he gets on my nerves, but I think the actor does exactly what he needs to do with that. And you're right. I think the differentiation between all the various Biffs is probably more, <laughs> is certainly more pronounced than anybody. I mean, I Doc never changes at all. Marty hardly changes except to play his wimp son a little bit. But, 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 when, they, when they say to Marty, which we'll soon get up to, okay, act like a girl. And he's like, is this how girls act? 
You nailed it. Great. Good job. Yeah. Um, no, right. I mean, there's so many biffs, all the various biffs. Thank you, Shelly. Because uh, there's like, there's old biff and then there's alternate uh, 80s biff and then there's back to 50s biff plus there's griff uh, and he's briefly like grandma biff but who cares about that um, I, I do like that uh, you mentioned that it's it's griff is just biff on future drugs I was reminded of that iced tea SUV account right like it's called regret <laughs> grease kids try it at parties next mm-hmm. thing we know they're at a Cinnabon getting paid to tickle holistic doctors it's that sort of thing that's what <laughs> griff is on he's on regret grease and he does not regret it because he's going to Cinnabon later. Okay, so um, they ar- they arrest Griff and and his his guys. So the the arrest of uh, Marty's son and daughter and all that is going to happen. So it's not going to happen. So yay, hooray! So we it, save it changes the, the newspaper, which is yeah. our our emotional nonsensical emotional truth Hollywood truth yes. established in the first movie. That's how you tell how well, also, time is changing. What timeline? You, you look also, at oh, newspaper yeah. in twenty fifteen. I love 2015, it. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Yep. Also, <laughs> on everyone's doorstep. Side, side uh, head headlines that did not. Age particularly well there's one about queen diana mm-hmm. uh so well it's yeah. that one by a couple of years i think there's some other good ones uh, there are some other good ones in there too yeah the thumb bandits strike again because people are mm-hmm. using them for right so uh marty uh is waiting for doc because he's totally solved this movie and it's over now right and buys uh the sporting almanac uh, 1950 to 2000 which i will say to all prospective time travelers out there not a bad way to make money in the past if you've got now it's a very thin volume to give I specific details how did it's you very, fit every single sporting of, thing of into... one weekend of college football in the 50s every weekend of college football in the 50s is in this slim volume it's plus like horse the, racing it's like the hitch Hiker's guide to sports yeah. almanac. Well, no, the real magic <laughs> is how he can turn to the page and find something so fast. Yeah, that's the right. real magic. It's also it's, it has a it's fine. it has a dust jacket which yeah, has been they, since that's outlawed. This little I know I know they do it. It's clunky foreshadowing, jacket. but I'll take it. Yeah, and so, leads to a dustbuster joke that does not really land. I think even in no. 1989. So, yeah. so Doc, Doc's like, Marty, you can't change the past. Uh, so anyway, they uh, they the police come. Uh, they're in the alley. They find Jennifer. Oh no! The movie plot must continue because they've taken Nobody Jennifer away. Ever suggest that Marty just be like, "Oh, that's my mom. That's my mom. She wasn't mm-hmm. feeling well. Let's mm-hmm. deal with this." And yeah, nope. no, because the movie has to move on. Uh, it's, it's pretty progressive. You have two uh, woman police officers. Yeah, in the future, Indeed. women are cops. Yeah, that, can you imagine? And also, I want to add <laughs> to our somewhat misogynistic bent in here. Um, this is one of only maybe a small handful of black characters in mm-hmm. this movie and the mm-hmm. only one who is like i think has a line and is not a like just a tremendously bad stereotype yeah. basically um the let's see the uh old biff hears them and takes the 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 sports almanac and that'll be important uh shortly. he's got a golem vibe going in this movie he's always like in the shadows sneaky when they're not there <laughs> he, he kind of does grab, i hadn't thought about that but yeah i agree my almanac is my precious uh <laughs> jennifer is taken home to her future home but she hides mom are you down there and and we discover <laughs> that uh that uh, that her life with Marty, as we said before, has kind of gone sideways. There's like disappointing wedding photos. He apparently had a, a car accident. Um, 
there is injured his hand ending because this is one of the few movies that says you will regret not still playing guitar almost every other movie says like you should (laughs) this is like if only i'm still playing guitar i'm sure i'd i'm sure i'd be a famous rock and roll singer and i'd be rich and famous no i you know what i kind of love that because it's the it is the not like this shows of the perils of growing up and getting a real job and honestly i kind of i kind of like that i (laughs) but it was just the car accident that did it he would have been a famous guitar player but the car accident injured his hand and he couldn't play well, I mean, car accident is the I believe is also foreshadowing mm-hmm. to end of the next movie, as I recall. Yeah, well, and it's all about his dad. His dad died, um, and there's just a whole thing, a bunch of things go wrong for him um, that they're gonna fix. No, his dad's still alive because he shows up here. He's they, he's upside uh, down in the he's upside down. Oh no, yeah. you're right. No, that that's right. It, it gets that's worse. Neat. His that's dad survives here. Yeah. He's in. He's upside down, so you don't recognize it's not Crispin Glover anymore. Um, <laughs> the all right, so. Uh, we also get Marty's daughter here, played by Michael J. Fox. And I'm just going to say this uh, this clumps style one actor plays all the characters. I do not like it. Um, I he's don't, not good at it. That's I don't, one, of the, he's one not, of the problems. That, the, yeah, the only it, merciful thing is that it's very short yes, scene. Yeah, it's, it's, say, it's, it's done entirely for a gag. He's not playing a character. He's yeah, dressing yeah, up I, as a character. I feel like, yep. Shelley, in fact, I wonder if they, they, they did this and they're like, Let's just cut all that stuff yeah, with like the daughter. You can't pull it off. Essentially. We can't. No, right. it's a but like cast, cast somebody as his daughter. But no, they're like no. But it'll be funny because it's uh, it's going to be Michael just Fox as a girl. Not. All right. Don't give him well, a daughter. Okay. Well, we just have to well, everything late. be entirely it's too symmetrical. Uh, well, it's I mean, your kids, right? <laughs> do, do they say right? It's, I, fair. Yeah. Fair, and we can't uh, have him have two boys. I first guess. part of it is the is the callback. I think you know to the fact that we've already established in the first movie of having characters play themselves in different eras yes and do makeup and everything part of the fun of this movie of this franchise yeah but not in part is a franchise trademark for better or for worse and i think they just lean into it too far yeah well the the problem is they go to they go the the offspring route too far like that that you know if if it's just his mother young his mother old him young him old stuff like that like that you get the fun out of that and now it's like you have to play all your offspring, but we're like, even when he just plays his son, it's like, we're not even going to, it's just going to literally be you. We're not going to do anything really with your hair or right. makeup. You're just going to do a funny voice and be a little bit more disheveled. And that, as you know, is exactly what your son will look uh, like. Cause uh, apparently your wife contributes zero. Your wife is a material. zero and she's in an alleyway. Yeah. That's <laughs> she exactly couldn't it. even play her own daughter. I mean, exactly. I, I yeah, there you go. Exactly. She, if you're going to do the daughter, you can just have it be her. I realize that uh. she's in the scene and we have to have the conflict with seeing her future self and all that stuff. But still, you could have done that. You could have had her play her daughter, had her styled mm-hmm. slightly differently so yeah. that it would be both funny but of course we haven't seen enough of jennifer for anybody to go oh that's it's, her that's playing jennifer. her daughter she's in the closet she's in the closet in this whole scene yeah <laughs> right. it's true she's um, in the bathroom so yeah, uh right. uh among the things we should talk about here we should at least mention that uh uh marty's old marty gets home and he's uh he he is doing a video conference with a co-worker who is trying to get him into a uh, a shady deal he's and, immediate- and who is that co-worker it's needles. Needles flee. It's flea. It's flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Has needles. <laughs> um, His illustrious uh, film career just kicked film off. Career. Yeah, uh, it's starting now with needles. So uh, immediately, his boss then calls and fires him via fax. Even though they've got a video, but the fax is going to come in because it's the future. Read 80s. my fax yeah, in every room. In the 80, in the future, you'll have more than one fax. That's why it's the future. And I'll say also because it's the 80s. His boss is Japanese. 
Yes, because mm-hmm. they're taking yeah. over in the yeah. 80s. And so the Japanese the and the Germans are taking over. That's what it is. So well, it's not even clear in, in this there, thing, thing if Needles is setting him up. Is this a honeypot to catch him no, doing I something? Think he's, he's just dumb. Unethical or yeah. his boss was just like monitoring. Because again, yeah. Marty, our hero, turns out to actually be a dummy who's sad yeah. and, 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 and unethical like he's yeah. he's striving he's not successful he's willing to compromise his values to try to be successful he's become he's his bad dad at it and needles uh yeah he did needles did do the whole chicken thing too right so yes. it's yes. Yes. just as susceptible as he Easily was 30 years ago if you have a co-worker named needles don't do anything <laughs> don't, don't, don't <laughs> do right, anything it's right in the name or flee probably okay so uh jennifer passes out because she meets herself from the future and uh therefore we don't have to deal with jennifer anymore um, our consciousness is her uh main attribute in this movie so yeah, she must be unconscious right. again again At least she passed out of her own volition rather than having drugs applied you know? right. right so marty and doc have tracked her down here but um while they're away from the delorean what happens is biff Old Biff steals the DeLorean, uh, goes back in time. We don't see this. He goes back in time and um, and gives the sports almanac to young Biff and tells him, you know, this will tell you the future. You can bet on things. Don't don't say. And we get some of this later when we repeat it again, but we don't see it this time. Uh, make like a tree and leave, you butthead. And uh, if a if a if a crazy uh, doctor or a kid come trying to take it away from you, don't let them take it. Anyway, so he does that, and he comes back to this time, which okay. Time cop taught me I shouldn't sweat the details of time travel, but I'm just going to say one. How does old Biff have access to this timeline Mm -hmm. if he's changed the timeline Mm -hmm. Two, shouldn't Marty and Doc and everybody else in this timeline be fading away like pictures in the newspaper? Maybe it's so gradual that they haven't done that yet. Yeah, you just can't think about I it. Just, it doesn't yeah, make sense. Can't. Yeah. Just can't and think in the screenwriting it. thing, they need uh, they need some way later in this thing to for them to find out that Biff was in the DeLorean. And they what they choose to do is the big thick walking stick that he's been using. He is somehow going to crack that in half and leave the signature part of it in the footwell. What yeah, kind of maneuver or strength would it take? to snap i know they have him like injure himself on getting out of the car it's like wow just yeah. you really couldn't think of anything like oh, hey, he's gonna crack the walking stick that's what we're John, gonna I do know when you're, i know when you know when you get older you'll realize you can hurt yourself getting out of a car but he could uh, not <laughs> crack that walking stick in half. like in the future how? walking sticks are made of very fragile material time, time machines save a lot of money uh, yeah. although at this point i have to wood. say i not yeah, that I'm rooting for this older Piff, but he is really showing initiative here. Yeah, he's following also, people he around. He figures out how sneaky. to use the. He figures out how to use the time machine. Right, that he was gets my right first thought. It seems very easy for him to get yeah. in the time machine, User make the friendly. car fly, and, right. and, and also go back in time. Like, because Marty and Doc are doing this as a team, and they're not particularly successful. He's doing it on his own on a time machine that he doesn't know how to run. <laughs> he's doing smart things. The only thing I'm going to falter him <laughs> on is when he explains to his younger self he is not sufficiently. He's not thorough. Enough because yeah. he knows his younger self is dumb and it takes the younger self much longer than it should to figure out that the sports almanac is valuable right. or whatever but maybe you know. we should be watching a movie about him is what i'm yeah. saying uh, because he seems much better at using his time machine i agree although i i just to be fair old biff has had 30 years to plan 
to learn how to fly a flying car so that he can <laughs> steal the flying DeLorean, right? Because flying cars happen. And he's like, oh, yeah. I and see. And that explains the, that explains the conversion. I'm, That's one I'm of the I'm sure nice the 2015 flying cars work exactly the same way the DeLorean does. I mean, yeah. you know, DeLorean is a conversion. It, it is, is a converted. Conversion. Yeah, it was right, converted, right? So, so. It, it, it it would be he could do it. In fact, Biff might work at the place that does the conversion. But, but that doesn't explain <laughs> the time machine aspect. Of yeah, it. he wouldn't have known it was a time machine. It is just a phone right. pad. No. Let's be clear. It's just a touch well, tone phone pad. There's a point later in the yeah. movie where it is a plot point that the ergonomics of the interior of this car are terrible because yeah. the time circuits are accidentally bumped by a character mm -hmm. changing the time to yeah. 1885 and that's just bad interior design well, it's just flickering it's it's stuck he's got, I I gotta work he on that later. hits it like don't put important controls near where you're gonna bump no. them like the time he's circuits he's, he's doc brown not johnny ive come he's on yeah, spatial no, he, needed, he needed more um, another uh, round of All ergonomic right. uh, alignment so what happens is they uh, they go back to 2015, not knowing that Biff has changed the timeline. 1985. Or sorry, they go back. go back to from 2015 to 1985, not knowing that Biff has gone to 1955 and changed the timeline. So um, when they go there, they discover, uh, uh, well, first they dump Jennifer. Yep. As you do. As you do. We can't, we can, finally, we can get rid of her. I don't remember these bars porch. being here. Yeah, on her I'm porch. I'm sure it's fine, they, though. Don't the, worry about it. The argument is simply like, well, it'll be really weird that she fell asleep on the porch, so she'll think it's a dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Fine yeah. logic. How long sure. is she going to be asleep? Could be a couple of minutes. Could be a few hours. We don't need we to don't worry know. about I that. I mean, when you pass yeah. out after seeing she'll yourself from the future, it, it could be a while. Assume the weather outside is fine. Assume the temperature is okay. Everything's, it's everything's great. It's, it's, it's great. Okay. But now we reach uh, another part, and I would argue the least pleasant part of the movie which is By dystopian far. 1985 which i i wish we didn't spend time here we spend a lot of time here biff is now one of the country's wealthiest men he has a he has a a, a giant casino tower in the middle of town that everything is bad everything is nixon is in his fifth term it, it Just is fifth biff term. getting rich is enough to give nixon his fifth term <laughs> yeah it's it's true uh it's now, this is where we we learn that uh, george mcfly is dead uh marty's that, mother that is thing, married to of, biff speaking of movie logic the, they tell him they, in the not very successful you know echo the first thing you're safe here in 1955 you're safe here on the 27th floor not great but anyway yeah in this he, he learns that his father is dead mm -hmm. and in in movie logic which makes sense in movie logic but they sort of abandoned that movie logic maybe in the 90s when told that his father is dead we cut to him going to the cemetery to visit the grave <laughs> yes. as if getting the information that his father is dead is insufficient he will not believe it until no. he transports himself presumably to public transportation or hitchhiking or whatever to the cemetery yes. so he can see the grave because as we know that is the only way to ever believe that someone is truly dead is to visit their grave yeah, and Doc proof. knew that he'd be there too He's and, like, exactly oh, it makes oh. perfect sense in movie logic of course when you found out your father I, was great well we've we've flipped movie logic entirely on its head by this point where it's like the trope of the grave that there's nobody actually in right has become right. in some ways right. superior like no, ah it's a gravestone but it's not really but this movie, I, I won't believe it until and he's in such a such a state and he maintains that state through whatever transport he took to get to the cemetery at right. night. I guess he did a future Uber or an 85 yeah, Uber. Yeah, fine. And he's still running and he's still shocked. It can't be true. It can't be true. It can't be true. <gasps> a grave, it is true. Re and remember, how this many is, hours? This isn't the future. Things. It's just, it's just, this is your, um, it's a wonderful life alternate yeah. present that is terrible. Um, it, uh, and, and I mentioned Marty's mom. This is, this is where uh, Shelly, I think this is the other part that Shelly was referencing earlier. Uh, Marty's yes. mom has married Caused Biff. me to lose my mind. Uh, and this is a scene that's ridiculous. that's entirely about her boobs. 
because she's so so a woman is a trophy and a woman has one attribute in her life it's her boobs and we have to dress her in such a way that in every instance where you see her her boobs come in the room to be fair it is meant to show how this is a horrible dystopia but also very boob centric i get it yes i i get it but still the woman is is the as a trophy yes. that one of the marks of the dystopia is that George McFly not only died but the woman who was meant to be his wife his love has been his is back to the uh, molester from 1955 yes. and and that's how we end up and so some of Marty's property has been appropriated is basically the message exactly his his memory of his mother as it was is is his possession and Biff has has uh, I, I taken it I even over. remember finding this incredibly uncomfortable when seeing this as like a like kid slash young like teenager like this i agree this whole scene with her and the way that they've you know <laughs> done leah thompson dirty in this whole segment they don't even give her good lines like her dialogue mm-hmm. this is like this isn't maybe your first no. draft she at one point she says okay biff i'll stay and her next line is he was right and i was wrong who is That's- writing this those that's well because outline. i mean biff biff is clearly an abuser but yeah. you could flesh it out so that even yeah, like if the point was don't... That, <sighs> even if the point was that he was an abuser she could show some sort of resistance or you could even have some character moment where we understand why she's taking it because what biff says is you like my money and your daughter likes my money but i don't right. get the sense that we know what her motivation is to stay whether it's because of abuse or whether she is in fact well, uh, have some greed she, she wants impact. her kids to continue to be supported but it's well a, it's he a, threatens to literally that's put what them he in says. jail we don't right? know what like, her actual motivation is yeah, yeah. yeah. that's fair but, that's fair yeah. yeah but what she what she says is so like just straightforward the text of a thing in this scene we have to make her tell biff that she'll stay and uh and have to have her concede to his wishes and having her say he was right and i was wrong is not good Writing. No, no. <laughs> this is also the only timeline where Lorraine doesn't end up an alcoholic is where George punches Biff. <laughs> yeah. At, at the beginning of uh, Back to the Future 1, she's also yes. drinking vodka at dinner. She's disappointed with her yeah. life. And, and this scene, not Dark. only is it like, so, you know, we had sexual assault <laughs> as the, uh, at the end of the first movie. In this movie, we've got, you know, Biff uh, pushing his wife to the floor oh, yeah. uh, and just generally being terrible. And also, this this scene contains the bit where Biff, you know, says, you know, he said, if any a doc and a, you know, if, if a boy and a crazy doctor ever show up, he told me what I should do with them. Taking out a gun and trying to, trying to kill someone with a gun is not a, a Back to the Future Part One vibe. That's mm-hmm. not. And this movie mm-hmm. says, no, literally, the advice was, I guess, if they come, kill them with a gun, and yeah. he murdered Marty's father. Back to uh, to this point, Back to the Future as a franchise is not a people are killed with guns franchise it will guns will obviously come in the next movie for obvious you know reasons having to do with the genre john literally the opening scene of back to future one is christopher lloyd getting gunned down by libyans (laughs) yeah but i'm gonna call i'm gonna call you on that one those are the bad guys this is those are like terrorists no this but these are this is our main character like this is this is like and your and his adoptive son like kill your stepson with a gun it's personal violence in a way as the the dehumanized terrorist from the first movie 
are not. I, yeah, and, I, I mean, see, and, and I see Back what to the saying. Future, despite the lack of presence of, of guns in most of the movie, it's very punchy. And I commented on that when we talked about Back to the Future 1. One of the things I like least about it is how much of it, and not, not including the 1955 punch that is so important to the actual uh, res- resolution of the movie, but there's so much of it that's just really punchy, and it's dudes hitting each other, yep. and that gets boring. And so yep. they've escalated in this movie so that you have this scene with the gun, and you also have the guy on his porch with the AK. I mean, it's just, yeah. mm-hmm. it's very, it's dystopian, it's dark, it's it's bad. I feel like Strickland with the gun fits with the terrorists in this, like, comic book dystopian 80s violence type things, where the personal violence, I, the personal yeah, violence... We, we didn't mention that. Son. That was personal yeah. violence. Strickland's theory that was pretty, here is that they shut, down, they shut down the school, so Strickland now just live, is a shut-in and lives at home, but he's got his gun. He's got a and, lot of ammo. And, and the best part of that whole scene that I actually do in a section of this movie I don't like, I really enjoy the fact that... All the villains out there are just slackers. slackers. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that part I love. Strickland, yeah. Jane, great character. James Tolkien is doing excellent work here as yes. like he has a one note character to play yep. and he's going to play the hell he does. out of that for one the, note. For the actor, James I love Tolkien, that they yeah. gave him that to do. I mean, I, well, it's he's really jarring <laughs> yeah. the movie, but I love Amazing. that the actor got to do that. So this seems as good a time as any to mention. If the giant casino tower with Biff on it and all of the kind of gold plating that's kind of gaudy and <laughs> and disgusting, hmm. but hmm. A, a rich guy's hmm. idea. So familiar. If, yeah, if, if it seems familiar, yes, in 1989, Bob Gale thought, let's make Biff a Donald Trump figure. In 1989. <laughs> and the vibes are strong. The vibes are strong. Yeah, anyway, the casino should yes. be failing, though, then. Yes, well, it's... it's <laughs> well, we don't know whether it's succeeding well, he, or not. It's he has tall. so much That's about all we money, know and it's crooked, and, and he's probably hiding... Anyway... Plus well, all those boxes of Biff steaks. <laughs> Yeah. You gotta imagine Trump saw this timeline and thought, "Oh, this is the good timeline." This is the good <laughs> yeah. timeline. And maybe I should have gotten into I mean, nuclear in, in waste. In the future of 2015, they didn't know what was around the corner. Yeah, it's true. So um, anyway, they they realize that what has happened is old Biff took that. It's that almanac. Old Biff took that almanac back in time and gave it to young. Biff. That's why Marty finds out and confronts Biff because Marty's got to find out when the old Biff came back in time. And it turns out it's the same day. We're literally going to go back. And for Marty, it literally was, yes, he has been doing this. There's no pickup. He remember he gets home and then Doc immediately comes back. So Marty's just been through it, but he's got to go through it again. It's the same day. Uh, and, and so they go back to, well, they have, they have the, the chalkboard diagram before this. Point, oh yes, that's right. Doc explains how timelines work. Was everybody Sorry. satisfied with that scene? <laughs> no, it's no. great. Not it's really. great up until you start thinking about the what just happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I mean, this is, that's why this they is... do it here, right? The reason they do it here is because you've already forgotten about what happened with Biff going back in time. You don't have to yeah. worry about that nope. at this point. They're already back in 1985. Therefore, it's not relevant to what happened 20 minutes ago. They just need you to understand the two the the two places that you're going to see in this movie. What, that, yeah. You don't need to understand how they came about or any kind of no. logic. They just want you to know, hey, when you see this, it's this, and when you see that, it's that. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It, it, it's it's not supposed to make sense except in the sense of the movie telling you why the characters have to do what they have to do. And that's, yep. I get it. Um, I'll, I'll just point out before I move on that this completely contradicts the whole fading away uh, mm-hmm. in the picture thing. Uh, it doesn't really explain what happens to Marty when he goes back to the future that's been changed, but we're just gonna, we're going to move on other than I want to, I want to do a shout out for the sight gags. 
uh, of the newspapers changing, my favorite is the Emmett Brown committed to the mental institution <laughs> on the front page where there's a photo of him being dragged away by men. And then it turns to Emmett Brown commended and the two men are shaking his hands and giving him a plaque. That is a good bit. <laughs> and he's and they're yeah. in the so same body looks, positions. The same positions. Yes, and- and Christopher Lloyd looks equally flummoxed. In the- <laughs> <laughs> he, looks, he, look, he looks, yeah, he looks at the same expression on his face. Instead of a straight jacket with his hands going across, it's, it's you know, yeah. it's, no, this is, yeah. the, this is what the, the magic Good of jokes. the first movie of having movie logic, emotional logic that makes sense to you, the viewer that you don't have to think about, that uses like tropes that we're familiar with, extends into this movie. Even though they do the, the explanation diagram, that's just to get you to stay on board this train. But at no point does it have any like I don't I wonder if a movie like this would, would work in modern era where people insist on there being some kind of sensibility to the plot because I think the first movie still works because it's just like it, you know, I'll go along for the ride. The second movie, once they get out the diagram, I think modern audiences if this came out today would say, Oh, that chalkboard diagram and maybe so angry because it doesn't make any sense. But at the time when I we go, saw this in the eighties, it was like, Wow, this is great. Look at that a lot of attention to the chalkboard diagram, I'm, honestly. I'm, I'm with Shelley on this one. I don't think most people today would care much. No, you just but you I, just are drawing the line from A to B. But we do live in a different time. Tearing apart today. The entire oh, yeah, but like this the internet for you. People yeah. on a podcast would tear it apart. But I don't most know about audiences the won't movie. care. Uh, Avengers Endgame did pretty well, and it's literally the same plot as this movie. But the, they didn't have. A, did they ever have a chalkboard diagram moment? Well, I mean, I think I think uh, I think Mark Ruffalo explains how it's going to work. Although they may have used the other funny thing about time travel movies since Back to the Future and, and TV shows is they often reference Back to the Future to explain mm-hmm. it to people, which I find mm-hmm. hilarious. Um, anyway, they go back to the fifties and. This is my favorite part of the movie because yeah. it is that moment where and and I John I agree I think this is maybe the first time I saw this like look my favorite part of the first movie is that moment where Marty goes back to the mall and you're like whoa wait a second we're watching scenes from earlier in the movie mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. from a different perspective so they do it here where the the whole thing the plot of back to the future is playing out while Marty um now dressed in a a, a hat and a leather jacket conspicuous that, that's great yeah. brilliant Honestly, the disc where he's like, get something inconspicuous yep. and the smash cut to him sliding in with the hat and the sunglasses. I remember that from uh, the trailers. And I think, honestly, to, I love it. I have good. no, no, no notes. The walkie talkie, everything about that is amazing. Yeah. So now Doc and, and Marty are back in the past and they're trying to figure figure this out and how to how to write the timeline. You've got to and in a little bit of plot uh, carefulness that I appreciated, you, Doc says, you got to let him give the almanac yeah. because old Biff has to go back so that he we think he was successful because we, right. Because we only get our DeLorean because he brought it back. So you've got to let him do that. And then you need to take it from Biff. And we, there's a lot of stuff here. Marty gets locked. Biff's car just got clean from the manure. Uh, he gets, it's good. It, he rides in the thing. He can't take it. He's locked in the, in the, uh, in the barn or the garage or whatever it can, is. That can Biff we mention for one second the, the bit where he uh, where Biff accosts Lorraine on the street about oh, going yeah. to the dance. And I found the most disturbing part of this being a man standing in the street yelling at a woman that someday he's going to marry her, yeah. mm-hmm. which is very unsettling. That just happened in the 50s all the time, I'm to understand. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I was I mean, not it alive. Is, so. It is Biff, and he, he is, we know that he intends to, or if not intends, he, he will attempt to sexually assault her later right oh 100 percent. yeah but just, i mean again it's possession it's like yeah. i'm a well, dude and you are a you are somebody that 
ostensibly belongs to somebody else and I am claiming you in a very mm-hmm. aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Although this, this movie does try to re not rehabilitate Biff, but it does have that moment where I, I, I it's hard for me to tell what they're trying to tell him. So you see Biff's home life, right? And it's kind of like the, oh, you see the bully's home life and you realize their home life is bad and that, that's why they're a bully. But his his bad home life is that he has a grandmother who yells at him. Like, is that is that supposed to humanize this terrible oh, 50s I bit? I it's don't like, well, think it does. I think it because like the, the subsequent scene of that is directly him throwing a ball away from a bunch of kids. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing that it's makes you feel better it's about really him. It's really cheap. If, if you're supposed to feel better about him, I, I think the movie knows that you can't be made to feel better about him, given how much oh, yeah. investment they've made in Biff being a villain. So they're yep. going to give this nod to it. But if they did any more, I think we'd be even angrier that they tried to humanize. I'm him. kind of mad that they try to villainize the grandmother because what's bad about her is that she yells, I guess. Like, well, that's I mean, his hard it, home the, life. The implication is that there's a lot going on here and it's a legacy of awfulness yeah, that extends way beyond Biff, which is important because we're going to get a movie yep. set further in the past where there's more Biffs. So <laughs> this is a legacy of Biffs that stretches across a century. <laughs> Biff okay. legacy. A century yeah. of Biffs. Although, I do, another thing I remember, speaking of the kids, when I first saw this movie and he has the ball away from the kids and, he, and like he basically wants to make it so the kids can't get the ball, he throws them into like a second floor porch, porch <laughs> thing yeah. and i remember the first yeah. time i saw this movie i'm like huh i don't think i've ever seen that structure on a house it's before. like a bungalow <laughs> and they've got a little right. thing up but there and... but if you think about it if it was just a roof he could the ball would just roll off so there right. has to be that there to contain the ball and i'm like it's, wow it's, that's, that's, that's weird biff knows where all of those are in the neighborhood because he does that all the time it's, there's, it's, some, there's like, like 50 <laughs> balls up on that thing now. It, it, it is uh all right so we get to replay uh back to the future so that we go to the dance marty's got his super uh super clever outfit he 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 keeps acquiring and then losing the almanac he thinks that the dust jacket is the it's the almanac but it's actually the ooh la la magazine the girly magazine he finds that in in strickland's office uh there's you know so we get to see like strickland a different we get <laughs> different his, angles and different his, his liquor yes, in the coffee cup exactly yeah, so good. well it's the one of the things that this movie does that I, I I appreciate is it's not just just like in that first scene with Biff seeing the DeLorean. It's not just that they're replaying. You're also seeing like characters. It's structured so you see characters before or after you you see them in the original yeah, delivering movie. lines that you didn't get to see in the first it, exactly. Movie. It's a little bit like a behind the scenes almost of the first yeah. movie, which I kind of enjoy. Right, like it's the scene where he's climbing over the stage. To drop the sandbags on mm-hmm. Biff's right, uh, yeah, and it's it's done credibly enough that yeah, it is one of my favorite parts of the movie because it, it it's done in a way that you believe it. It's not just a rip off of the first movie, nor is it a repeat for plot continuity mm-hmm. probably to, to explain to us it it does not have the feeling of let me explain what happened it's like you right. know what happened because you've seen it. This may function as a reminder, but it's also giving you additional content. It makes it harder. Because you have to avoid, like, specifically, right. he has to avoid himself. Right. And Doc has to avoid himself. And, like, even though he doesn't do a very good job of it, um, like that, it's supposed to increase the level of difficulty and, as and well, which I enjoy. Tr- he's trying to get to a result that doesn't change the first movie, which is interesting because you get to the point where Biff is going to come after Calvin Klein, right? And so Marty, future Marty, has to take that and and pull that Biff away so that he doesn't assault first movie marty so there's there's the extra level of complexity i like the the, the henchman he was sidelining yeah i love the moment that the henchman where marty from the first movie comes off stage and sees the henchman under sandbags and goes all right and then walks on it's like (laughs) okay that's good like uh, fine that's 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 all fine no it's um i i should mention here so robert zemeckis often uh gets really 
delighted by uh, filmmaking technology. He tries to do stunts in his various movies. Sometimes they're more successful. Sometimes they're less successful. After this, he does go on to do Forrest Gump, where he puts a character in all of history. So he, you know, and 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 there's the the mirror shot and contact, and there's a lot of stuff. He loves movie technology. The 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 Polar Express with the motion capture, all these things. So. All the doubles in this movie lead to a lot of really groundbreaking motion capture, motion control, rather, camera work by ILM in terms of putting together scenes with two characters talking to each other, often with camera motion. The Biff scene where he's handing the almanac to young old Biff to young Biff. That, yeah, where the there's a dividing line in the windshield. In the windshield, <laughs> right? Where where so that when he hands the object over, like there's a lot of that. And then and then right in this part of the movie is maybe the most for me, the most showy scene, but it's pretty amazing, which is Marty going under the window of the car that Marty yes. and his mom mm-hmm. are in, in the first movie sliding underneath the window. So they don't see him as he's trying to get where he needs to go. So we get to like, uh, be- just below the frame of the first movie, the other Marty is sliding along. And that is again, because Marty is in the car. It is another one of these motion control shots. And there are a couple moments and a couple of the shots that aren't like a hundred percent perfect, but it's really good. It's really it's well really done. Yeah, and, I'm... and, and you need that if you're going to sell the idea that our characters are inside the other movie. Yeah. As a 44 year old, I can see the seams as a, you know, certainly as a nine year old, no way. Like no I was way. just totally bought yeah, like when, even uh, as when, a teenager. When Biff, yeah. When Biff throws the sports almanac in the air and it tumbles across the dividing line, you can see that it was carefully masked out using whatever techniques yeah. they had of the day. And there's a terrible mask line around there it, is. but it's there it's, for a split the second. You just you just notice it for you know for a split second. This Crispin Glover also appears in this movie, but not really because not it's really. just scenes from the first movie that he was in. Yeah. So that's and nice. Just barely. Yeah. And this this whole segment of uh, uh, Marty being in the first movie. So uh it takes big advantage of like, hey, remember the first movie and how much you loved it and how great that <laughs> climax was? Yeah. We are going to go back to that well and we love it too. Uh, let you enjoy <laughs> the climax again. And in my mind, in my recollection before I rewatched this movie Back to the Future 2 is hoverboards, Marty being in the first movie in places where you didn't see him, and that terrible middle section with the Biff Casino. That's the whole movie in my memory. I know there's more to it here, but when I rewatched it, I'm like, really, the part where Marty is in the first movie that you loved, but in in places where you don't see, is way shorter than I thought it would be. Because I'm like, this movie is basically 50% that, and then a hoverboard scene and that terrible casino scene. It's like, no, there's a lot of, kind of like what you guys were watching Superman. There's a lot of this movie that I guess I just sort of blocked out and just concentrated on the good parts. (laughs) But this, this technique... Going back to a beloved movie and showing it from a different perspective and saying, little did you know, but when you were watching that first movie, Marty in the leather jacket was there the whole time and you didn't know. And having the slapstick stuff of getting his hand caught under the desk and all that. I love that. In my mind, it's like 50% of the movie, but it absolutely is not. It's so magical thinking that all this stuff was happening behind the scenes. And when I go back to watch the first back to the future movie even now i still think like marty's up there there. right above the stage (laughs) like and and so that kind of makes there's something really special that makes the first movie even a little bit more delightful than it was the first time around Uh, 
that's pretty it's pretty cool i was we got to really hand it to them on this if one george lucas had made this movie he would have re-edited the first back to the future so <laughs> that put the sandbag there. Scene uh, was there so my interpretation of what you're saying brian and correct me if i'm wrong is that the first movie is still good and this is just reminding you of the fact that the first movie is far better than the second yeah, movie. you, you don't <laughs> well, want to remind yourself of a better movie but this movie tries to do i think at some points like it does it even takes some of like the, the musical swells and cues from the climax of the first movie and sort of incorporates them in this one but they're not climaxes of this movie but it reminds you of the first movie yeah. i think they do get a lot of mileage about how good the first movie is they they extract some of the the juice from that squeeze yeah. in this segment yeah Part i mean of what it's I'm not seeing, just that it's a better movie but it, it is also like the novelty of having our characters have to go back into the better movie is a, a legitimately great part of this movie it is like i said i, I think for a lot of people including myself my favorite part of the movie and i do in my memory think that this is half the movie and it is really not because and i get why super complicated to do this probably very expensive to do this but it is the best part of the movie it's the, mo- and, it's the most fun like again, in, yeah. even even the silly yeah. stuff of him marty constantly reaching for the all mac it is very cartoon level oh, like, sure. oh i'm trying to but it's fun it's he gets fun. his hand crushed and now yeah. he can't play the guitar oh is no exactly no. yeah <laughs> hand injuries and not being able to play guitar are a cornerstone of this franchise it's yep. yeah that's right it's just it's a it's a it's a fun sequence um other movies and tv shows have done it since i think in part because they saw it here and they're like oh well that's a great idea let's oh, it's, it's iconic right it, it, is, it is it is the defining trope it is. obviously you know, Stephen Moffat saw this and said what if I did an entire TV series that was entirely and then his Doctor Who is basically Harry like, Potter does this Prisoner of Azkaban right Harry Potter mm-hmm. does it for sure right exactly and and Avengers Endgame which which does yep. it several of those things by the way specifically refer to Back to the Future I'm like we could yeah. do it like Avengers Back Endgame. to the Future yeah okay Avengers Let's Endgame also pulls it off with an Alan Silvestri score to back it which I enjoy oh, that's very good not quite as memorable maybe I, there is a True. moment in I think it's in the Russell D. Davis era of Doctor Who where David Tennant actually says it's like back to the future and i thought what am i watching here what what would doctor who is explaining that it's like back to the future what uh but he does he could have said bill and ted's excellent because we get it also okay (laughs) exactly um all right so there there is finally there is like in that tunnel that's been set up there's marty and biff because because biff's taken the almanac back at this point uh and uh the pink hoverboard comes into it and in the end uh, they get the they get the thing, and uh, hooray! The day is saved. By the way, Doc. At one point, there's a great little scene where Doc helps a, a young Doc um, with the setup of the lightning at the yeah. clock tower. Which very is very unobservant, young Doc. I guess. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, strange would you know? Credulity. Also, uh, by the way, uh, the reason that Christopher Lloyd. I, I think he's got some old age makeup in the present day scenes in the first movie. So they have the thing where he has like a, at the very beginning, yeah. he's like, Oh, I have a Fake. rejuvenation treatment yeah. so they can get him out mm-hmm. of the old age makeup Saves for the rest of the money. movie. But it Saves also kind of still looks like he's the same. Age, he's the same age. I, yeah. I enjoy it also because like, like Strickland. You know, Christopher Lloyd's what? 50 or so yeah. in this movie. Yeah, I he's think. an old it man. Like, yeah. I, I feel like this is, this follows the grand tradition of, 80s and 90s things where we age people up and really have no idea how age works. Yeah. See, yeah. see uh, Alexander Sadiq being aged up in, in Deep Space Nine to like his 60s or 70s and you look at him now and his 60s, he's like, he is a handsome man. Yeah. But no, he's going it, to be a doddering it, old man. I, I like the, I like the fact that I honestly, I think that if you try too hard to age people up, it gets weird and you'd be better off letting the audience just sort of go with it like they do here. Um, I watch Outlander 
which is set mm. across many decades. And they put some gray in the hairs of the characters and all that. But, you know, they were playing 20s and now they're playing 50s. And but always hunky. It's just well, yeah. They're beautiful. Throw, uh, they're beautiful for all people. Mankind into that mix, Jason. For all yeah. mankind, <laughs> similarly. In fact, the, for, success, for all mankind, right. gets the worst when they try to make them look older. I think mm-hmm. that when you just like suffice it to say they're older, you kind of maybe get away with it, and it doesn't draw your attention to the the poor Joel Kinnaman and his old age makeup. <laughs> I stopped. You know what? I stopped noticing at a certain point, and then when I see him in his actual age, I'm like, oh my god, he's so he's young. so young. Yeah, I know he doesn't look like that anymore. Anyway, so they they hooray. Uh, they they get it all to work. And they're going to go. And then this is the moment where the essentially the plot of the second movie has now ended and it's all set up. But I will say, like the first movie, I think this movie has a great ending, which is a fantastic ending. The time machine is hovering around, but the, the, the storm, the lightning, all of that from the first movie that strikes the clock tower is happening here. Um, Doc has to turn around or something in order to land the time machine, which was easy earlier, but it's hard now, but it's okay. It's all, it's all fine. And what happens is the DeLorean is struck by lightning and it leaves the little trail in the sky. So there's the implication that he's gone back in time, but Marty doesn't know, but wait, wait, uh, at that moment, a car drives, drives up as the rain begins to fall. Joe Flaherty gets out of the car <laughs> and says, I've got this letter from Marty McFly. Are you Marty McFly? Yes, I am. Oh, we, we were taking bets around the office. This letter has been here since the, since the 19th century and it's for you. And it's a letter from doc saying, I'm 70 years ago in 1885. It's been six months or whatever. And, and, and then that would be an amazing cliffhanger ending, but that isn't even the ending because what happens? Uh, the end of the first movie happens. Marty goes back to the future. The Doc Brown is standing there at the clock tower has been struck by lightning. He's like, ah, I did it. And immediately our Marty from this movie says, Doc, you got to help me. He's like, Marty, what, what are you doing? I just sent you back to the future. He says, yeah, I'm back from the future and I need your help. And it's like, ah, and he passes out because this is a movie where people pass out. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, is and, it though? And, well, it we'll is just wait. Is it? That's the end of the movie. To be continued, it is a great moment. Uh, where the poor old Doc Brown, poor young Doc Brown, who's just gone through the whole first movie, it turns out doesn't get any moments of triumph because future Marty appears and says, oh no, there's been another problem uh, to be continued or to, to be, be concluded. concluded, concluded, which turns out is accurate. Uh, this is a trilogy, not like a trilogy with four or five movies in it. And then we get a next time on back to the oh, future yes. trailer now, now I, I saw this and i'm like i was reminded that this was a thing right i'm like oh yeah i remember they did this and i had to think has anyone ever done this since because there have been sequels shot in sequence but have any has anyone ever literally no, put we, it in we, the movie we swapped this out for the like post-credit scene i think basically uh, is what happened. Right, like right, in, but if this, this is had been not done a post-credit today, scenes i know but i'm saying if this had been done today they would have done a post-credit scene right, right? but in right. the era they didn't know what to do and they're like we've got all this footage and we want to like assure people like this is a thing that's happening and even has the date. One in, of the right? Marvel movies literally has a trailer at the end of it rather than a post credit scene. It's like a, I can't remember which one. But literally, it's a trailer for the next Marvel movie. I know. Movie. Yes. Yep. I can't so remember it which does, one either. It does but yeah, have, you're, but, you're but, right. But A Dead Reckoning part one, don't tell anybody it's part one. And and Across the Spider-Verse, don't tell anybody it's part two of three. Um 
they don't do it. Those are like explicitly two-part movies and the Harry Potter or Deathly Hallows doesn't really do it either. They know that there's going to be another movie and all yeah, that. Even if they have the stuff in the can, I guess maybe it's because so much of the VFX stuff isn't done, but these, this is this is a straight-up advertisement for the yes. next movie. These yeah. are completed scenes from the movie. Here they are. This is an ad for the next movie with scenes from the next movie. Basically, in today's parlance, I would say spoilers for the next spoilers movie. The next <laughs> and if movie. you didn't want to see them, tough luck. It's not just a tease of like, here's one shot of Biff in the Old West. No, no, it is a full-fledged right multiple scenes spoiling jokes and gags and scenes from the next movie yeah. in the movie that you're watching right three, six months by the way was the gap between part two and part three since they were shot simultaneously and th- that's kind of on brand for this movie because the whole thing of uh, the time travel fun that you can have of like oh no a disaster has just taken place the lightning has hit the delorean and it has disappeared and then the guy runs up you can do that because time travel and the thing that's great about that and also doc i just uh fixed marty in the first movie but then two seconds later marty oh, comes back so good is that audio audiences are impatient and you're like guess what audience you your impatience is rewarded yeah. because i will instantly bring you to the next event never mind these I, people never, never i'm get just a thinking about poor i'm just thinking about poor kid brian over there who's like wait a second i waited four years for that back to the future part two and now you're <laughs> telling me there's a third one in six months brian you got you paid off for yeah, you. yeah like the time travel makes this possible <laughs> yeah worked out okay for me in the end uh, anyway, I love this ending. I don't know how you all feel about it, but like, I love the, that in rapid succession, the DeLorean gets sent away. Oh no, what does that mean? Then then Joe Flaherty walks up and says, I got a letter for you. And like, what? He was and, so great. And then uh, the way he was so like yeah. menacing, the way he was like going to pull something out of his jacket, you just assume he's like an FBI guy. Yeah, but, but no. he's not. Yeah, he's the, a Western the, Union guy. The Western yeah. Union thing is fantastic. It's got echoes of, you know, Doc um, taping up Marty's letter yes. in the first part, right? Mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. it has that delightful, perfect time travel thing of, you know, it reminds me of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure where they like hide the keys for themselves. Yeah, like, just you know, remember to, to hide logic. Them. Yeah. And like for me, that's the great moments of time travel. It was like, well, I know exactly where Marty will be exactly when and where Marty will be just like the lightning strike. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, I like, I love that logic of it. It's menacing, but also it's touching too, because it is that moment. I love, I actually love Michael J. Fox's performance in that scene where he, you know, realizing that the that that doc's alive. Right. I I think Mm -hmm. it's great. And then the, Oh, there's only one man who can help me now. Right. Like that, that is a great segue. The music swells. That whole last bit is just incredibly well done. Do you think Joe gave him a lift back to town? Because we know it takes a long time. He shows up and he's running. (laughs) Yeah. Whoever, whoever drove him to the cemetery also brought him there. They they dropped him off two blocks away so he could make that entrance. Also, it's pouring down rain. I would, I would hope that Joe Flaherty would be like, Hey, kid, this letter's been around for 70 years. Why don't we read it in the car, which is dry? <laughs> well, because Joe probably wants to know what it says. Yeah. I mean, he's... <laughs> yeah, they got their bet. Yeah, they got their bet about this it. Is, yeah. uh, I know, I, that's great. I haven't that's rewatched great. Uh, part three yet. I will eventually. I haven't rewatched it, but I have to say that um, my opinion of uh, part two was downgraded by, by rewatching it. And then when they showed the scenes from part three, my thought was... In the past, I, if you had asked me, I would have said uh, part two is better than part three. But now having watched part two and seeing scenes from part three, which I have seen before, it's making me think maybe I'm going to like part three way better than part two because my recollection of part three I think that's the conventional wisdom, John. I think the conventional wisdom is that part three is better than part two. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, obviously I haven't seen these movies in a, in a long, time, long time and maybe my, my you know, but anyway, I downgraded this one in my ratings after watching it and we'll see if I upgrade sure. part three. 
I feel like my accidental choice to skip this one as opposed to part three was correct because uh-huh. I have good memories of part three and I'll be watching it to see whether they hold up. But uh, yeah, so far, I think it's one, three and two in that order. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's right. There are flaws to this movie. I still do really like it. I think the the good parts are over are good enough to overcome the bad for me. Um, I enjoy that there are things that in watching, you know, in rewatching this that are basically for like foreshadowing for part three, like they're watching the fistful of dollars scene with Clint Eastwood, which comes into play in part three. Um, there's a shot of uh, like Buford Tannen at one point in the Biff Museum, which is obviously also mm-hmm. part three. Um, but I think overall, I mean, again, as I said, I'm heavily covered by my nostalgia feeling of this. There's parts of this that like, I have no problem admitting that one is definitely a better movie. It's kind of like the Raiders Last Crusade uh, dichotomy slightly to me, which is like, I think Raiders is a better movie, but there are parts of Last Crusade that I just love more. And for me, even as bad as parts of this are, I think that there is so much about it that I still enjoy. So I'm not, I'm still feeling very conflicted about it. Like, I'm not sure it's a better movie than part three, but there are the, the future part of it. And again, like just linking into that, like, you know, nine year old me thinking about mm. like, Oh my God, I'm going to have a hoverboard. <laughs> you know? Maybe I'm feel worse about it now because I'm disappointed that it never happened. You don't think part two is more like temple of doom. Oh yeah. I think probably I uh, the temple of doom also has some really great la- bits. Last Crusade is much yeah, Marcel Last Crusade is a, is a much better movie. I agree. But I like I that's how I was feeling about it going in. But I think I agree that I've downgraded it somewhat after having seen sort of uh, through my my middle aged eyes, mm. the the same aspects. It's a little that bit I didn't slight, too. It felt more slight to me. Maybe it's because it's shorter. It's short. I like, but my it's rec- short. In my recollection, not only is there more of the good stuff that I liked, there's more stuff. I'm like, really? When it ended, I'm like, oh, th- I guess it was, like basically when he shows up and the DeLorean's got the little tag, you know, the, the flag string hanging from him. I'm like, right. wait, this is the end of the movie. Like, that's that's it. That's it. Have I watched the whole movie? It just feels like a an abbreviated middle chapter that I think loomed large because when I was seeing it in the 80s, all the things that it did were so, to my little mind, innovative. I had never seen before. I delighted in it so much. They grew in my memory and I was totally satisfied. Whereas this time, obviously now a lot of the stuff being old hat, the movie feels diminished. Yeah, that 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 uh, alternate present of 85 stuff is just kidding. Kills the movie for me, but I love the revisiting stuff and the some of the future stuff is really fun too. So it goes, you know, here and there. Any other final thoughts about part two before we go back to the gold rush era instead? Back to the wild. The only thing I would say is that uh, we don't really address the fact that Marty is to blame for this whole thing for buying that sports almanac and for (laughs) doing so for purposes of greed. Because as much as character flaw. Because as much as Biff is our villain, and and justifiably so, Marty screwed up. And you see, yeah. Marty, and, and Marty, like, in, in Back of the Future 1, as we talked about, Marty is a kid of the 80s who is going to be rewarded in the positive timeline by material objects. And in this timeline, when he, when he goes back and he gets that sports almanac, he intends to use it in the same way that Biff does, maybe not to the extreme, but it's all kind of his fault. And we, I, I think you think about that. I bet kid, no kid ever thought about that in any context. I was not a kid when I, when I saw these movies collectively, not this particular one. Uh, but there's a part of me that's like going, it's your fault, dude. You caused yeah. this whole mess. <laughs> Greed was good in the 80s, though. So ha- having Michael J. Fox do this was like, yeah, he's the hero. When Marty notices, finds out that his dad is dead and Doc explains the whole timeline thing, he, he does start beating himself up a bit and says it is it is his fault for buying the almanac mm. 
but that was Doc's idea too. Like in Back to the Future one, he says, "Oh, if I go into the future, I'll be able to know who won all the World Series." Yeah, I mean, so. the Doc says it in an innocent way of he'll just know the outcome, not that he's going to bet on it. Right, right and he didn't right. actually do anything about it. Right, it's true. I mean, everybody's probably of. had that kind of <laughs> idea that you would know something from the future and that, that would be interesting. Whether you choose to use it for financial gain is a whole other thing. At later, Primer would do that in a much more confusing yeah. way. That good luck diagramming that when yeah. they do the stock prices. So, you know, there, there's a diagram of it on the, on the internet. Good luck understanding the there, diagram. But yeah, there are many diagrams. Yeah. Yes. Did I, Stephen I, King uh, cop to this idea when he? Uh, because he wrote 112263, which yeah. has a he was whole mostly bunch of into buying thing. ground beef at low prices over and over. That's <laughs> right, the same ground beef. But but I mean, the lesson there is similar, which is you know you can't really change what happens, and you need to let. Well, it you go. can, but it's way worse than you think. It's bad. It's not yeah, just it's, Biff, it's Biff doesn't bad. just have a casino. No, there, I want to do one. One thing I did enjoy from like watching, actually watching through the credits, is one of the um, they have a bunch of people uh, credited as like sort of people coming up with the concept stuff for the future. Uh, one of whom is Doug Chang, who is later yeah. goes on to be basically the sort of visual architect of the the Star Wars prequels and many of the later mm. Star Wars stuff as well. Which so I it is fun to see like people involved in this movie. I mean, obviously Spielberg has some involvement in as producing and stuff like that, but like it is kind of a fascinating amalgam of all of that sort of 1980s. Um, special effects blockbuster culture and I, I was thinking about this as I you know watched the ending and, and thinking like it is in some ways weird that this is both a movie I feel like you couldn't make today and also a movie that is sort of the progenitor of the movies that we see today because it, it has that sort of like okay we're cashing in on IP right that is sort of the and that is the way the studios like work now everything is cashing in on ip and yet at some point you need to come up with the original like material that you then cash in on no they've done and, away with that today too <laughs> ai <laughs> makes it instead but it, no it they did, just get it, it from 60s comic books there's so many of them <laughs> but that's my point this was a movie not based on any 60s on, on anything right like I know. and i love that aspect of it and it's it still has an element of sort of that originality to it that I just incredibly enjoyed. It feels in some ways, even despite being a blockbuster, it feels like a small movie, almost like an indie movie in some ways. And I, it's just a vibe that I don't think you get from movies these days. I could not come up with a good counterexample. They do that, but they're not as much fun. Like, for example, I just I was watching uh, the Tavaziri's thing where he talks about the visual effects of the creator. The creator, no IP, uh, new movie, but it's not a like this the back to the future is a blockbuster pa family pleasing bring fun. everyone to yeah the that's what theaters. i'm saying i did yeah. think there's an element of that the family fun movie uh, i yeah i don't know like it's comic movies have basically replaced that but like yeah. they're, they're all just cashing in on existing ip there's no an original like family oriented adventure movie like i don't think we really do yeah, that so if you want to make an original sci-fi movie it has to be like dark and moody like the creator yeah, big right? yeah all right. Well, I enjoyed revisiting this, even though, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, literally the, the, what I went through is I started watching the movie and I was like, oh no, I think I, I think I hate this movie. And then we got to parts that were fun. And I was like, hey, it's fun. And I was like, oh no, no, I hate this part. And I was like, hey, this part's fun. It's a real roller coaster ride. Uh, I don't know where I come down on it. Uh, the parts of it I like and parts of it I hate. And that's just it. That's just what it is. It's, that's the bumpy ride that you take with Back to the Future Part Two, I guess. That's how it is. Um, we will go further back and talk about Back to the Future Part 3, but uh, for now, we are going to say goodbye. Let me thank my panel for being here. Brian Warren, thank you. Oh, just relax, Jason. You've only been asleep for just two hours. <laughs> John Syracuse, thank you. 
I can't wait to play Wild Gunman in 2015. Woo! Shelly Brisbane, thank you. I'm dressed up as Michael J. Fox. I have a hat. I have a leather jacket. I look great. Yeah? Not, not, uh, it's, it's, nobody's going to notice you. It's super subtle. And uh, Dan Warren, thank you. I was slightly distracted by recording this podcast while there was a better podcast happening in the background. Oh, yeah. Just above the frame, there's a our podcast, our last week's episode is playing. Like, yeah, I see Lex over there. It's weird. It's I amazing. I don't like it. It's strange. All right. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time. <laughs>